Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated if you would. You know, my wife mentioned this, but man, there is something powerful about the amen. Simply means so be it. You hear a promise from God's word, so be it. Amen. I received that today. So you can just amen me um, anytime you want. Even if you don't maybe totally believe it and get it, you can still say amen today. Amen. Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 13. John 13, uh, we've been in a series called Real Relationships, and we've been talking about the issue of understanding where we're really at in our relationships. It's, it's actually quite easy for us to not be aware of where we're actually at. Um, in, our, in our relationship with God, it's very easy for us to recognize there's an there's a absence of peace in our life, or there's just some turmoil in our life, and, and we don't recognize that somewhere along the lines, we've gotten our eyes off of Jesus, and we've gotten our eyes on people, we've gotten our eyes on the problem, we've gotten our eyes on situations, and we don't recognize that it's affecting the relationship with God. Not that we become unsaved, or that we're no longer a child of God, but just the intimacy that God wants to have operating in our lives becomes affected. But it also happens in our relationships with one another. We sometimes get this just estrangement, a, a distance, and, and it happens over time. I don't know if you notice that. It typically doesn't happen that you're just in love and goo-goo-eyed one moment, and the ne- goo-goo-eyed, yeah, that's a real term, and in, in the next minute, you're just in this tense relationship. It, it's just this gradual process that happens. So when we start recognizing that, we need to learn how to make adjustments when things are not flowing right. When things aren't working out well, there's just tension, there's fighting going on, there's, there's a disconnect between us and God somehow, and we, we feel distant from Him. And, and it's about, first of all, the vertical relationship with God. We, that's got to be the priority because it's the vertical relationship with God that empowers you and I to have a great horizontal relationship with one another. In fact, I'll say this, the, the level that you understand the love of God and are filled with the love of God is the level that you're able to love even some unlovable people in your life. So it's very important that we recognize it because it's the thing that really does empower us. So I want to pick up where I left off last week and talk about how to walk out love. Because see, it's not enough for us as followers of Jesus Christ to come and hear a great teaching today on the love of God. I'm saying that in faith ahead of time. A great teaching today on the love of God and then walk out and go, okay, that was kind of cool. Or I like what he said there, that was kind of cool, but not really walk it out, not, not live it out. It's, it's not enough for us just to have this information. It's important that we do this information. In fact, we talk all the time about the favor of God in our lives, about how God wants to bless you. And sometimes we're looking at areas of our life, maybe our marriage, some relationships, finances, our health or something, and we're going, God, you know, what, what's going on here? And, and we sometimes are not following the plan that God has for our life. We want a great marriage, but we're cold and distant, sometimes mean and ugly with someone that we're married to. And, and what God is speaking to us about is learning how to walk out the love of God that he has put into our hearts and lives. Because according to Ephesians 4, you and I are in each other's lives to help mature one another. And, and that doesn't mean that I'm here to now police your immature activity, or you're there to, to police other people's immature activity, but we're there to allow what God has put inside of us 
to allow that thing to go into someone else, to, to impart that thing into someone else. Maybe you're great with money. Maybe you're great with understanding relationships. Maybe your understanding of faith is amazing and you just have this great faith with God. Whatever it is, you've got something that everyone else in the room needs. You're a part of the process. In fact, the litmus test, the real reality, the real revelation that we are followers of Jesus Christ, that the world's going to see and that we're going to see with one another is the love that you and I have for one another. In fact, here's what Jesus said in John 13. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So the goal for us as followers of Jesus Christ is to continually be focused on the love of God. To become so filled with the love of God that when life squeezes us, not if, because life's going to squeeze you. When life squeezes us, the love of God comes out of us. We've all made the mistake or we've all heard someone make the mistake that grabbed the wrong thing that they thought was, was toothpaste and maybe it was preparation H or something else and they, they put it on their toothbrush and used it. Well, what's inside of the tube is coming out of the tube. It doesn't matter how much you pray over the tube, it's still going to be preparation H. So we got to make sure that we're the toothpaste right? And that the love of God is in our hearts and lives. So the reason is, is because we don't want to cause damage to other relationships. You know, we, we want to be careful with the dependent relationships that are in our lives, our children that are depending on us. We want to be able to pour the love of God into them. Even, even if it wasn't poured into us, we want to pour the love of God into them so they understand how loving God is because they're looking at you. With the interdependent relationships that we have, people that you work with, family members, we, we don't want to be doing damage to one another by, by, by saying and doing wrong things, so we want the love of God in us so that it flows out of us. So we want to walk out love, all right? Pretty simple. So as always today, we need to go to the Word of God and allow the Word of God to reveal to us what loving God and what loving others actually looks like. So... What are you going to do when someone in your life doesn't act the way that they're supposed to act? Have y'all ever had those people in your life? Someone in your life does something that is not the way they were supposed to be actually acting. In that moment, you have a choice. Your choice is, am I going to react based on the way that I feel or am I going to respond with the love of God? So the first thing that we need to recognize is that you have a choice. Every time something happens, I don't care how big, how small it may be, you have a choice. You can choose your response in anything that you're dealing with in your life. And listen, if you recognize that you have a choice, you're going to either react as your choice or you're going to learn how to respond. So the choices again are reacting, say reacting, or responding, say responding. So what's the difference? Well, when you react, and, and catch this, I'm going to read it a couple of times so you catch it. You might want to write this down. When you react, you aren't giving thought to your actions, and you're not considering how your actions will affect others. Let me say it again. When you react, okay, you aren't giving thought to your actions, and you're not considering how your actions will affect others. 
My, my wife and I um, have been married for 27 years, and when we, when we first got married, yeah, when we first got married, um, she was really dealing with a spirit of fear. I, I don't know what was happening, but in her life, she was really dealing with a spirit of fear. She would wake up in the middle of the night very fearful and afraid, and, and it was kind of nice because she would cuddle with me in those days, you know, get real close to me, honey, hold on to me, and ask the macho man protector. But it was, it was something, it was really horrible, sorry. But it was really something she was dealing with in, in a very negative thing in her life. You know, praise God that God delivered her from a spirit of fear. One day she drew a line in the sand and said, no more, you're not going to deal with me anymore. And listen, that doesn't mean that it didn't come back again. It would come back from time to time. But you know what? She is free from a spirit of fear today. But because of the spirit of fear, amen, praise be to God. But because of the spirit of fear, she would sometimes react certain ways. And I mentioned the waking up in the middle of the night. But she would also react if you tried to scare her. In fact, to this day, I'm afraid to try to scare her, all right? When we were dating, we hadn't even got married yet. We were going over to my parents' house. We walked through the front door, and a buddy of mine, Mark Brewer, who's spoken here before, he's the executive pastor at the Oaks in Dallas, he jumped out from behind a door wearing a goalie mask and yelled, rah, at the top of his lungs. It was a nanosecond between his yelling that my wife was pounding on Mark. I don't mean just kind of, oh, stop it. I mean pounding on him. It was like, you know, this voice coming from within her. And I thought, oh, my goodness. Everybody just kind of froze and went, oh, my goodness. How many of you know that she was reacting she wasn't giving thought to her actions. She wasn't giving a, a, a response to, to how her response was actually going to affect somebody. She just reacted. In, in fact, I, I learned the lesson from that, that one time I thought it'd be funny to scare my wife. I was coming home, and after I got in the door, I thought, oh, yeah, I don't want to get beat up like my buddy did. I don't want to have to have the police come up for domestic violence, and suddenly I'm, I'm the one that I'm all beat up and Okay, so who beat up who here? And uh, so I, I, I kind of got in the house, and I thought, oh, my goodness, I need to go back outside. Well, she was coming, so I real quickly dumped in the bathroom thing, and she'll go in the bedroom, go back to the kitchen, and I'll be able to sneak back out. Well, I closed the door behind me. She walked into the bathroom. It was, a, it was a tiny apartment, and so she's in the mirror. Well, the door's, because I'm behind the door, and I'm not a super skinny guy, I'm behind the door, and the door's kind of pushing, so she's kind of pushing back, and it's not going back, and it's not going back, and she turns around, and she's coming unglued all of a sudden, and I poke my head, and I'm, I'm still hiding behind the door going, honey, it's just me, it's just me, it's just me, because I didn't want her to beat me up. I'd seen her reactions before. I'd seen how she reacted. Listen, when you react... However you felt like something was done to you, real or imagined, you're going to respond in a similar way. You simply don't think about or consider others when you react. So in other words, if someone spoke harsh words to you without thought or consideration, you're going to speak harsh words back. If someone shoots the bird at you without thought or consideration, you're going to shoot the bird back. In fact, you may even double it up on them. Because whatever happened to you, you're going to respond. That happens, that's what happens when you react. So the question that you need to consider is, are you going to think about your actions? Are you going to consider how your actions are going to affect others? Because you actually have options here. You don't have to react in a negative way. So when I react, whatever I think you did to me, real or imagined, I'm going to respond something worse to you. 
Now, now, I'm not consciously doing that, or you're not consciously doing that. We're just reacting out of our feelings and out of our emotions. We're reacting in what those things are telling us in the moment. So, what does it mean to respond? Well, it's just the opposite. It means that I give thought to my actions. It means that I consider how my actions are going to affect others. It means that I can choose to respond to the love of God with the love of God, no matter how ugly or how unfair I was treated. In that moment, I'm faced with a choice. So what we naturally think is, Richie, you're asking me to be the weak person. Actually, it takes a lot more strength and a lot more courage to respond than it does to react. Listen, anybody can just cuss somebody out and say all kinds of ugly things. Can I get an amen? Here's a scripture just that shows us how important this actually is. In fact, today I want to encourage you, you might want to write some of these scriptures down to understand how God wants us to walk out love. James chapter 1, verse 19 says this. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, how many of you find you're just the opposite? That sometimes we're, we're slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to become angry. Why is that? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Human anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. Listen, once you have recognized that you have a choice, that's the first step when it comes to responding wrong. The next thing that you have to do is you have to resist reacting. You have to resist. I wish God would show up and slap us around and say, don't react. He doesn't. You have to resist it. And when I'm talking about resisting it, I'm talking about actively resisting it. Not just a one-time thing. And the way that you do this is you have to know who you are. You have to know that you're a child of God. Therefore, patience is inside of you. Therefore, patience is inside of you. Therefore, patience is inside of you. Therefore, kindness is inside of you. You have to know who you are. You have to know how loved you are. You have to know that God is crazy about you today. Because when you know how loved you are, it empowers you to respond in love. It empowers you to do the right thing. But you got to actively resist the temptation to react. Third thing we've got to do to keep us from reacting wrong is we've got to respond based on the guidelines of the Word of God. Pastor Richie, we all know that. It's easy for us to know that intellectually, but it's much more difficult for us to practice that in our lives. We've got to respond based on the guidelines of the Word of God. So again, I want to give you some scriptures, encourage you to write this down, so you can use the Word of God as the path of life, to walk in the path of life, so that all the relationships in your life become become much more healthy. Listen, and some of you may be thinking, listen, I don't I don't need any scriptures. I don't, my, my relationships are all doing well. That, that may be true now, but they may not be doing well tomorrow. Or you may actually be in deception about what's going on in your relationships. And the thing about deception is it's deceiving. We don't know that we're being deceived, but deception is deceiving us because we can have tension in our relationships without there being a lot of yelling and screaming and fighting. See, most of the time, it's like what I talked about last week. We have kind of these home movies in our mind, these things that we keep playing over and over again, and there's just underlying tension that's going on. And we're frustrated about some things that we're not on the same page about. 
And so we keep praying, God, change them when God might want to just change us. All right? So what does the Bible have to say about how we should respond? Here's the first thing. It says that we should not repay anyone evil for evil. Now, we live in a culture and we live in a world that is the exact opposite of that. But we are not to repay anyone evil for evil. Look at this in Romans 12, 17. It says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you. And just so you know, that's the only place that you can focus on is you. You can't try to get them to live at peace with you, but you can live at peace with them. Now, some of you are thinking, man, that's, you're going to talk about some things today that I'm just not sure if I'm able to do it. I've, I've lived repaying evil for evil for a long time. I've, I've lived angry for a long time. Let me show you this verse that Paul, that God wrote, gave to Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But he said to me, God saying this to Paul, that my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Listen, if, if it was all about your ability to do some things, you would probably be able to save yourself. But you don't have the ability to do some things. You may not have the ability in yourself to overcome your anger, to become overcome this mouth that says the wrong things all the time. But God's grace is sufficient for you. No matter what you're dealing with today, there's enough grace to help you get through and empower you what it is you're going through. Amen. Galatians chapter 5, verse 26 says, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Let us not become conceited. Conceited basically means you pu you're puffed up. That you think the world is about you. I, I can fall into this. I can fall into the, my life at home revolving around me. Right? How many of you know that you're right 99% of the time? Right? And the only 1% of the time that you weren't right was you actually were right, but you thought you were wrong right? We're not to become conceited. We're not to be provoking each other. Now, we, many of you, how many of you know that you know when you're provoking someone? Yeah, I see some of you looking at each other now, and you're just kind of, yeah, say it. Go ahead, go ahead, say it, man. Go ahead, say it. Say it. Go on, say it to my face. I dare you to say it. I know you're thinking it. Just go ahead and say it. Say it. And you can recognize through the eyes of their soul that you're damaging them and hurting them, but you keep pushing it. Man, I tell you, this is one that I've really had to really work on and walk on because I'm the fighter in the family. My wife is the flighter. She's like, okay, I'm tired of talking about this. And sometimes she's like, okay, honey, we've talked about it enough. I'm like, no, no, we're not done. We're going to get this settled tonight. We're going to fix this tonight. The word of God says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, and we are going to fix it tonight. And I'm provoking her. The Bible says that I'm not to do that. Does it mean I don't have the conversation? Oh, no, I have the conversation. But I try to have the conversation in a way that speaks her love language. That I'm dealing with the issue that I'm not aggressively and assertively trying to demand my way into her life. It's, it's, it's like when you were little. And, and there was somebody that was kind of jacking with you. And you'd say, okay, hey, man, why don't you just cross that line then? Cross that line. And they cross it. You go, okay. Cross that line right there. And if they were bigger than you, you'd always say, hey, man, we're on the same side now. There's no reason for you and I to fight, right? <laughs> we're not to provoke one another. Listen, you can. God's going to love you. You can still go to heaven, but you're going to live in hell in some relationships in your life. 
The word of God is, is a path of life for you and I to understand. We're not to provoke each other. Here's another one, James chapter 4, verse 11. I hope you're getting these. I hope these are helping you today. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. That slander means that we are not to attack someone's character. Because here's what's happened. Some, here's what happens from time to time in our lives. Someone does the wrong thing, and when they do the wrong thing, we, we allow that behavior and start talking about that behavior as if that were their character. And we say they, they always do that when they made a mistake in a moment. What it's basically saying is you and I are not to gossip. But it might be true. It doesn't matter. We're not to be talking in a way like that about somebody else. We are not to be slandering other people. In fact, anytime you're about ready to say something about someone else, think about it. What would you want being said about you and say that? Doesn't mean that you don't deal with problems and don't have to deal with some issues, but say it in a way that you're understanding it's a behavior, not a character issue. Sometimes we just need to zip our lip about it. We need to really let it go to recognize that I'm thankful for people in my life that have given grace to me. Therefore, I want to give grace to other people. It's the old adage. Sometimes, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Just zip your lip. Ephesians 4. Here's another one. In your anger, do not sin. You've got to understand that anger is okay. It's okay for you to have anger sometimes. It's a, it's a natural emotion, but in your anger, don't sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're, while you're still un- angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. What happens when we allow our anger to cause us to sin is we give the devil a foothold into our marriage. We give the devil a foothold into a relationship. We give the devil a foothold into our life. And what ends up happening is it's, when we, it's easy sometimes for us to respond in anger, but what we don't recognize is the damage it's bringing into the relationships in our lives. Is this helping anybody today? Proverbs 17, 9. Whoever would foster love, that, that literally means promotes love, covers over an offense. But whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. So what we want to be is we want to be people that cover over an offense, not someone who promotes it by repeating it. We want to be someone who demonstrates God's mercy with other people, not being someone who just sits in judgment of people. Listen, we all make evaluations and judgments about people all the time. It's okay, but what we want to make sure is that we've got mercy in that. So when their behavior is wrong, there's mercy attached to what we see so that we can understand that hurting people hurt people. That they're like us, there's some unrighteous parts of their behavior that God's still working on. Let me show you this verse, because here's what James 2 says. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment in other words mercy is going to rule over the fact that the judgment that we felt about someone so we're not going to have this anxiety towards someone we're going to be operating in mercy in other words they don't deserve your forgiveness they don't deserve you treating them right but you do it anyway because that's exactly what god did for us proverbs nineteen eleven: a person's wisdom yields patience It is one's glory to overlook an offense. I I love that line, it's one's glory. It literally means there's a a crowning on us. 
Pastor Richie, all glory belongs to God. Absolutely. In fact, it's because God's in our life that we're able to do that. But when people see you overlooking an offense, they're going to be going, wow, look at the character in that person. Look at who that person is. Listen, you don't have to pick up an offense with anyone or anything. You don't have to. Now, you can. Again, you can. I'm, I'm discovered um, Instagram a, a while back. And I know for those of you that have been in social media for years, you're like, hey, welcome to the 2000s and 18s. But, um, and so I, I post some things on Instagram. Well, this past week, I was out of town. I was at a um, place in Phoenix. And I, I was there, and I was posting something. Hey, having a great time at a conference in Phoenix. A, a guy posted on my Instagram, hey, what about the serving? And I thought, what? What on earth does that mean? So I just responded back to him. I know this guy. I said, hey, what does that mean? He goes, well, I, I see you talking about going to a, a conference and doing this and doing that, but what about the serving? Where's that? And I thought, seriously? My first response was, okay, I'll talk about where the serving is. Because see, I actually know this guy. I know that he's not in a church, not involved. In fact, I actually helped him when he went through a divorce and, and helped him walk through some things in his life. And so I'm thinking of this Righteous anger is kind of standing up inside. You know, all anger is righteous when it's ours, right? It's kind of standing up inside of me. And I'm about ready to post something back. And then I'm thinking, whoa, let's hit the brakes here. Richie, you're preaching a message on Sunday. And this might, you might look kind of bad if you're not practicing what you're preaching, right? So I just caught myself for a moment and said, whoa, okay, wait a second. I don't want to respond like that. I don't want to be angry at this person and depressed. So I just sent a quick text back said, hey, I'm doing it every day of my life, but I just don't post about it. And then let it go. And I really have let it go. I'm sharing it today only because it's an illustration, not because I'm still working through something. I really am fine. But the point is, is that we have to recognize that there are going to be opportunities for you to get offended. How many of you have ever been offended? The rest of you will cast a lying demon out of you at the end of the service today because every one of us have had opportunities to be offended. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen today, possibly. It's going to happen tomorrow, but you don't have to be offended. We need to choose to overlook the offense. Again, Pastor Richie, I'm going to be a weak person. I'm telling you, it takes more strength to overlook an offense than just to get down in the mud about an offense. God wants us to be peacemakers. Let me show you this verse in James 3. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. We need to learn to operate in peace. We need to learn how to operate in love. And what is happening is we start reaping a harvest of righteousness. What that means is all the good things that are attached to righteousness start showing up in our life. Great marriage, great health, great emotional health. Great, great relationships, great, great things going on in our life, great promotion, great things start showing up in our lives. But listen, it's easy just to respond or react out of emotion instead of responding out of love. Because we want to create a lot of times this barrier of self-protection. We've been hurt by people before. And instead of being in a small group and actually getting healed from it, it's still very tender. And what happens is the moment that ugly thing happens to us, we respond or react out of anger because of self-protection. And we typically don't even recognize that we're doing it. We don't recognize that we're actually in it and the damage that we're actually causing just because we're responding out of our emotions. Listen, we need to start putting others first. 
We need to start putting the team, whether that's your family or your, your friends at work, whatever it might be, we need to start putting the interdependent relationships first. We need to start putting the dependent relationships first rather than just operating out of our feelings. We've got to mature in this. We need to become complete in this area of interdependent and dependent relationships. We've got to keep our attitude in check. Have you ever noticed how quickly your attitude can go south? Listen, we don't want to let our attitude run our lives when it's wrong because it creates long-term and short-term damage. We can't allow the difficult things in our life to decide how we're going to act and how we're going to react. We've got to make a choice to be happy. I don't know if you know this or not, but choice, happiness is a choice. And you can choose happiness. I'm telling you, if you'll do it, your life is going to get so much better. If you'll just simply choose to say, I'm, I'm going to be happy. Things that aren't working, be, weren't working before are going to start working. Things that are broken are going to get fixed. Things that are stuck are going to get unstuck. But you're going to have to make that choice to be happy. Listen, it isn't other people in your life that are making you unhappy. It isn't even the devil that's making you unhappy. It's you. <laughs> hey, you can say amen or oh me on that. But it's you. You not being happy is a decision on your part to make those choices that keep putting you back in the same situations and you keep looking for different results and the same things keep happening. It keeps showing up. Well, yeah, I could be happy if I had other people in my life. Yeah, I could be happy if I was married to someone else. I could be happy if I had different friends. I could be happy if I, if I had a, a different kids, right? But you know what? The same thing that's making you unhappy now is going to go with you into those new relationships. You. Everywhere you go, go you, there you are. And I don't know about you, but I don't like being around unhappy people. I'll, I'll hang out with you some, but I really don't like being around unhappy people. I like being around people who are happy, who got a smile on their face. Go ahead and just give me a big smile right now. Just show me how happy you are. There you go. We like being around people who are happy. Listen, you can, I like being around people who recognize that they can proactively change their environment by focusing on the only place that they actually can bring about change themselves. Have you ever noticed that you can't change anybody else? But you can change you, and when you change you, you start changing the environment. Listen, and all it takes is one crazy person who's willing to stand out in the crowd, someone who's willing to be loving even when other people aren't. Someone who's willing to say, I'm going to make a positive, I'm going to have a positive influence so that I make a positive difference in the lives of other people. I don't know if that's possible, Pastor Richie, because just, I don't know if one person can do that in a society that very, seems very hell-bent on responding wrong. I want to show you a video today from, from a TED Talk. I'm going to close with this today. And, and, and it just talks about how a movement can begin. Do you realize that a movement can begin with this group of people that are here today that can change our city? Did y'all recognize that? And what we keep waiting for is other people to change, for society to change, for the government to change people, for the, everything else to happen, when in reality, we can be a part of the movement. We can bring about change. I want to check this video out, and then I'm going to come up and close.
So ladies and gentlemen, at TED, we talk a lot about leadership and how to make a movement. So let's watch a movement happen, start to finish in under three minutes and dissect some lessons from it. First, of course you know, a leader needs the guts to stand out and be ridiculed. <laughs> but what he's doing is so easy to follow. So here's his first follower with a crucial role. He's going to show everyone else how to follow. Now notice that the leader embraces him as an equal. So now it's not about the leader anymore, it's about them, plural. Now there he is calling to his friends. Now if you notice that the first follower is actually an underestimated form of leadership in itself. It takes guts to stand out like that. The first follower is what transforms a lone nut into a leader. <laughs> and here comes a second follower. Now it's not a lone nut, it's not two nuts. Three is a crowd and a crowd is news. So a movement must be public. It's important to show not just the leader, but the followers, because you find that new followers emulate the followers, not the leader. Now here come two more people, and immediately after, three more people. Now we've got momentum. This is the tipping point. Now we've got a movement. <laughs> so notice that as more people join in, it's less risky. So those that were sitting on the fence before now have no reason not to. They won't stand out. They won't be ridiculed, but they will be part of the in-crowd if they hurry. So, <laughs> over the next minute, you'll see all of the, uh, those that prefer to stick with the crowd, because eventually they would be ridiculed for not joining in. And that's how you make a movement. But, let's recap some lessons from this. So, first, if you are the type, like the shirtless dancing guy, that is standing alone, remember the importance of nurturing your first few followers as equals. So it's clearly about the movement, not you. <laughs> okay, but we might have missed the real lesson here. The biggest lesson, if you noticed, did you catch it? Is that leadership is over-glorified. That yes, it was the shirtless guy was first, and he'll get all the credit, but it was really the first follower that transformed the lone nut into a leader. So as we're told that we should all be leaders, that would be really ineffective. If you really care about starting a movement, have the courage to follow and show others how to follow. And when you find a lone nut doing something great, have the guts to be the first one to stand up and join in. And what a perfect place to do that, Ted. Thanks. <laughs> Here's the takeaway I want you to see. If you're interested in starting a movement, wouldn't it be awesome if this is the most loving city in the world? If you're interested in starting a movement, have the courage to be a follower. I'm not talking about you following me. I'm talking about us following Jesus and the example that he set and show others how to follow. As I recognize as a pastor, I have a limited amount of influence on you, but every one of you have an influence on someone else. And while people may not respond to what I'm saying to them about let's operate in love, they'll respond to what you're saying to them. And here's the other thing. And when you find someone else doing something great, like I believe we're doing here at the church, have the courage to stand up and join in. I've been saying this throughout the series. Listen, Christianity is not a spectator sport. We want to encourage you to join in. In fact, that's one of the reasons why we're constantly encouraging you to show up on Sunday so you hear the words of life that God has for you. Why we're encouraging you to be in a small group so things that in you that aren't healthy, things that keep popping up, they'll get healed, that they'll get healthy, and also that you would go through the growth track. And I know some of you are going, oh, please, would you stop talking about that? Listen, we're not going to. And it's not, and if you don't do it, we're still going to love you. You're still welcome here. You're still 
welcome to be involved in everything that we're doing. But listen, we believe the grill track is a part of our discipleship process. And God did not call us to go and make converts. He called us to go and make disciples. And so what I'm asking is you to be a part of what God's doing here by stepping in and saying, you know what, God, I'm going to be a follower. And not only am I going to be a follower, I'm going to teach others how to follow. And you influence the people that God's placed in your life.